Welcome to the Healthful Woman Podcast. Today's Thursday, December 17th, 2020. In today's podcast, I'm joined by Dr. Aaron Gottlieb to discuss irregular periods. Aaron is one of the OBGYNs at Carnegie Women's Health, which is where I'm sitting right now. I've worked with Aaron longer than any other doctor, as we have worked together in some capacity since I was in medical school. Aaron was my resident when I was a med student. Then we were residents together. Then we were attendings together at Elmhurst and at the ODA in Brooklyn. And now we've been working together at MFM Associates for the past 12 years. So we're talking about a 20-year run. Not bad. Irregular periods are a very common complaint women have, and Aaron is great at figuring out the cause and presenting possible solutions if one is needed. I'm sure you will find her interesting and helpful. Next week, Melka is back to talk about breach presentation and external cephalic version, or ECV, which is one option for pregnant women nearing delivery with a baby that is head up instead of head down. Great topic. Hey, FYI, I am uh, apparently going to be the guest on the Informed Pregnancy Podcast with Dr. Elliot Berlin, and it is supposed to drop today on Thursday the 17th and another one next week on Thursday the 24th. So definitely check that out. Again, the name of the podcast is the Informed Pregnancy Podcast. It's a really good podcast. I recommend you check it out. And uh, you can hear me today. Have a great day and have a great weekend. Welcome to today's episode of Healthful Woman, a podcast designed to explore topics in women's health at all stages of life. I'm your host, Dr. Nathan Fox, an OBGYN and maternal fetal medicine specialist practicing in New York City. At Healthful Woman, I speak with leaders in the field to help you learn more about women's health, pregnancy, and wellness. All right, Aaron Gottlieb. Welcome to the Healthful Woman Podcast. I'm so glad we finally wrestled you into coming on. I know. It's been a long time. Thanks so much for having me. (laughs) You're an OBGYN and you practice here at Carnegie Women's Health. And we go way back, obviously. Yes. (laughs) Way back. Way back. Aaron was one of my chief residents as I started my career in OBGYN. You taught me. And then we practiced. You were also my student. When I was a resident and a you were point. a medical student, I had to prepare for you. You were like super ready, eager to learn. <laughs> and I had these other students who weren't so eager to learn. And you were like on the ball. That's code word in resident for I was the annoying one. No, <laughs> no, no. Like I was like, oh my goodness, I have to prepare for Dr. Fox. Well, Aaron did win a massive teaching award as a resident. So... It all worked out. It's all good. So just so our, our listeners know more about you, just briefly, like, where are you from? How'd you get into medicine? How'd you choose OB? You know, open-ended question. Open-ended question. Okay. I grew up in Baltimore, Maryland, and then I never thought I would go into medicine. But if I look back, I probably had little things of, you know, sparks of going into medicine or some sort of science field. Because in college, I actually, one of my jobs, summer jobs was to, I worked in a hospital because it paid well, Mm. but it was taking dead bodies to the morgue. Oh, dear. (laughs) All right. (laughs) Lovely. Also, those, you know, some other fun things that I had to do. But in college, there was a flyer. This is like pre-cell phone day, pre-computer. Right. Prehistoric. Prehistoric, (laughs) right? Like, so there was a flyer saying, are you interested in going to medical school in New York City? Spend the summer for, and we will pay you to learn about medical school. Wow. That's a good deal. Yeah. And so I applied because I was like, who doesn't want to live in New York City for a summer? Right. Who was paying people to learn about medical school? There was Mount Sinai had a program called the Humanities and Medicine Program. Right. I applied and it was for people who were not majoring in pre-med. And I got to spend the summer in New York. I got to hang out and see what being a in the medical field was like. 
And so I took classes during the day, explored New York City in the afternoon and evenings. And I was like, this is something I really like, the constant changing environment of medicine, right? So you get to go in, you get to see patients, you get to learn about them, research them. And there are many different things that you can do clinically. And I thought that was really neat and fun. So then I was like, well, I'll, I'll try it and see, and I'll go to medical school for one year. And then I was like, Oh, I like it. And I'll go again. <laughs> I'll and come I back. I'll come going. back. And I like never kind of just said I would do this, but somehow I just did. And right. then... Then you're graduating. And then I was like, oh my goodness, now what am I going to do? I have to pick a residency. And I really liked a lot of things. So I thought, well, I like surgery. I like the constant moving and different types of patients, but I didn't like the one and done kind of aspect of surgery where you meet a patient once and then they're, you fix right. them or you take, do something and then they're gone. Right. And in OBGYN, you get to have long-term relationships with your patients, but you can also do lots of procedure-oriented things. And to me, that worked out beautifully. Yeah. And then stayed at Mount Sinai all the stayed way through. Stayed at Mount Sinai all the way through. True and true. Yeah. I mean, a lot of people have that experience that OBGYN is, gives them that opportunity. People like to operate, but they don't want to really be general surgeons. And just because it's a different flavor, it's a different relationship you have with the patients. And some people love that. I come, I fix a problem and I leave. And it's just, it's the most satisfying thing for them. And others are like, I want to fix problems. I want to operate, but I want to stay with this person for many, many years, and a lot of them gravitate towards fields like OBGYN. All right, excellent. Well, here we are, and we're going to be talking today about irregular bleeding or irregular periods. Everyone's different. So what do we put in the brackets of regular, just so we understand what's outside of regular or irregular? Well, most girls and young women start menstruating around the age of 12. It can mm -hmm. be a little bit earlier. It can be a little bit later. Um, and the first couple of years, they may not have a quote unquote regular period. But when you read a book or a textbook, it says every 28 days. Well, 28 days, it really could be somewhere in the average that they're getting a cycle mm -hmm. that is consistent. So maybe 20 something to 40 something days. Right. And if it's consistent over a time, that's considered a normal period. And that would be regular. And then, you know, irregular, there's also a lot of terminology that's out there. And it is somewhat confusing. For example, you know, irregular period, people mean different things by that. So then there's something called oligomenorrhea. And these are really weird terms because no one understands them except doctors. But oligomenorrhea sort of means irregular, inconsistent, sort of all over the place or fewer mostly in the fewer side when we say irregular, not too many, but not enough. Most people think of oligomenorrhea as if they're menstruating less than, I guess, six to eight times a year, right. or if it's something's changed. So I think a lot of it is what is your normal period? Right. And then what caused it to change? Is it something that we should investigate? Or is it you know, hey, you stopped menstruating because you're pregnant and you want it to be or you didn't want to be. There are a lot of things to check off in terms of in evaluating is something out of the ordinary. Right. And it seems to me that there's really like three categories for why someone would be concerned or want to look into irregular, unusual sort of patterns of bleeding. And the first simply just for many women, it's annoying, right? right? <laughs> you know, it's just annoying. It's not predictable. They don't know what's going on. And it's not something that they want. And so just that reason alone is, you know, worthy of investigation. The second 
is if someone's trying to get pregnant, then it makes it very difficult to time, you know, am I ovulating? When am I ovulating? Can I get pregnant? Can I not get pregnant? And that's sort of, you know, maybe a little more serious of a concern. And the third is occasionally it'll indicate a real problem that needs to be addressed. Obviously not always, sometimes it's nothing, but in that it could be that. And when you see women who have irregular periods, what are most women complaining about? Is it the first that they're just annoyed the second that they're trying to get pregnant or the third that they're worried that there's like a real problem going on. I think most people just want to know that it's okay. Right. That it's not number it's three. Not, it's not number three. Right? right. So they come in and once you kind of realize that it's not number three and you take the most important thing to do is really just take a full history. You want to see what they were calling normal. Right. And now what they're not calling normal. And you want to investigate what changed in their life. Did they start taking a birth control and somebody didn't tell them that, hey, you know what? A lot of times you can take birth control and you can have irregular bleeding just from being on a birth control pill or that you may not bleed at all when you're on a birth control pill, depending Mm -hmm. on what type of birth control you're taking. Or, you know, you have to make sure they're not pregnant. You need to make sure that they haven't lost a lot of weight or gained a lot of weight. And did that throw them off? Have they been sick? So many different things. And then you can kind of tweak out and do a physical exam as well to see if there's anything that's causing, that structurally could be causing the irregular bleeding. Right. And I think what you said before also makes so much sense about what was regular for them and how is it different? Because for example, some women will, you know, have a period every, let's say 30 days, every month or so. And then if they say I'm having irregular bleeding, what they mean by that is I'm bleeding in between my period, like a day 13, 14, 15, 16. And for them, that's irregular, but they're still getting their quote unquote regular periods. It's just additional bleeding. And for other women, we actually call that metrorragia, which is a horrible word, but that's what it is. And there's other women who they're like, all right, I still get my period every 30 days, but now they're really heavy you know, compared to before, which we call menorragia, again. Or they last longer. Right, they last longer. And we use these, we basically use these terms just to confuse people and make us sound smarter than we are. But, you know, that's another way some people will refer to irregular. But as, as doctors, we think of that much differently, right? If someone says their period's irregular, but what it means is they're spotting between their periods, we sort of look at that very different from someone who says, I used to get a period every 30 days, and now it's every 40 to 90 days. There's just totally separate issues. And so that that history of what exactly we're talking about and mapping it out is so relevant and so important. And so for women who are concerned about their periods, it's really important to keep track of it, whether actually on paper, you know, like write down right. exactly what's going on. Now there are lots of yeah. apps. Or an app. So. <laughs> right. Right. Now that we are, we're not prehistoric, right. prehistoric anymore. Right. Yeah. <laughs> so it's all about the app. And I think right. the app really, the app is great, but people actually have to write down what they mean. Mm-hmm. So you can't just write bleeding. You have to be specific and say, you know, spotting or bleeding out of sync to their, what they were calling regular period and how much and any other associated symptoms that they were having. Let's address each of those separately. So let's say a woman comes to you, let's say someone comes to you and they're having regular periods, the same frequency interval between them, but now they're heavier and lasting longer. So what we said before is like menorrhage or heavier periods. So what would you be thinking in terms of that? Like what's likely going on or what kind of tests would you do or what would you be concerned about potentially? One of the things you think about is, is there a, first of all, I think age is really important. And we didn't discuss that. As you and I get older, we're like, age is really important. Age is critical. When you're talking to a younger person, (laughs) 
And every day, everybody's getting younger than I am. So a younger person, it's more common to have hormonal fluctuations that can cause a disruption in your cycle that can cause you to bleed longer. And then you'll just regulate. And so someone, a teenager or someone who is probably under 35 is not, it's not as worrisome if they're having a longer cycle once in a while, or if they changed a medication and that can cause them to have a change in their cycle. But routinely when somebody's having menorrhagia, one of the things that you want to look at is the structural problems. Are they having any fibroids or polyps? Or you also want to think about any hormonal problems, but for the most part, structural in a younger person. You suspect someone might have something structural, like a fibroid or a polyp. How do we assess that? So again, you've taken a history and you find out many people have fibroids or a structural problem, but you want to find out if it's actually significant to them. So you can ask a family history because fibroids tend to run Mm -hmm. in families. You could do a bimanual exam and to feel the size of the uterus. Is it increasing in size from what you would expect? And we can do an ultrasound. And here at Carney Women's Health, we have a technician and sonographers here all the time. So that's fantastic. And it's easy. And then from there, if we do detect something structural, we can assess, is it impacting the lining of the uterus, which can cause the bleeding. And so we can offer patients either a saline ultrasound, where we infuse a little bit of saline into the cervix, into the uterus. It kind of blows up the uterus like a little balloon. And we can see if there's a polyp or there's a fibroid abutting the lining of the uterus. The other option would be to do something like a hysteroscopy, where we put a camera inside the cervix. It allows us to look inside the uterus and take a look and see if we see a polyp or a fibroid. And um, we can also do remove, at that point, we can remove the polyp and we can do a biopsy of the uterus as well. Yeah, I mean, for women who have just heavier cycles, it's, it's rarely anything dangerous. I mean, unless they bleed so much that they become anemic, but it's, it's could be troubling to them or annoying. And it really breaks down either they have something they're structural, in which case it's quite satisfying because you see it and then you can easily remove it and then they're, they're cured. And it's, it's not a complicated operation. Everything is through the hysteroscope, which is from below. So there's no incisions, no right. stitches. Downtime yeah. is really pretty yeah. insignificant. Right. I mean, you're talking the, the day of or a half day right. and you're basically at work the next day. And if there's nothing there structural, then either it's going to, like you said, either just get better on its own or potentially someone can, you know, there's hormonal, you can get birth control pills right. or whatever. That's the majority of it for heavy periods. I mean, occasionally there's something you know, that we see that's that could be concerning. That's really the exception. Right. What about women who bleed in between their periods? So they have regular cycles, you know, so to speak, every month or so, but in between they get, you know, light spotting or a little bit a little bit of bleeding. Is it the same type of issues or is it tends to be a little bit different? You still want to do the mm-hmm. same things. You want right. to take a look. Do you want to inspect the cervix? Is there a little polyp on the cervix that's right. causing an issue? Again, you would do an ultrasound or a hysteroscopy or a saline ultrasound to look for something inside. But a lot of times, again, it can be either structural or it can be just some hormonal or nothing. I mean, a lot of women tend to spot around the time they're ovulating. Right. And that's normal. And right. so we have to differentiate. We just need to make, a lot of times what we do is make people feel comfortable with what's normal for their own bodies. Right. No, and that's a, that's really important because sometimes, you know, you'll check and just to make sure there isn't a polyp on the cervix. Again, those aren't dangerous, but okay, that's what it is. We could we remove, can remove it, it and then you won't have that anymore. Or maybe there is a polyp inside the uterus and the same thing. All right. So we can remove it and you won't have it anymore, but it's you know, just to reassure there's nothing else, you know, if they're due for a pap smear, you know, right. should have a pap smear. And these are just sort of basic things, but it's, 
it's unusual that these, when women come to us with these concerns that, you know, we're worried that there's something terrible going on. You just say, all right, let's just make sure there's nothing unusual. And if there's something that's quote unquote fixable, you know, then we'll take care of it. And, and that's really it. Obviously, and we had this discussion on a different podcast, but we're talking about younger women for postmenopausal women who aren't getting their periods at all. Totally different, different concern, story. right? Because right. they shouldn't have any bleeding. And so Correct. that's a different and concern. that needs to be seen. Right. Patients should be seen immediately right. and have a workup. And still, most of the time, thank goodness, it actually isn't anything serious, right. but we want to make sure. Right, exactly. Because that's sort of the list starts to include things that right. could be more concerning. You want to rule out your isn't. endometrial cancers first and right. then... Right, exactly. So, okay, so now let's talk about women who have truly irregular cycles, meaning it's not every 28 days. They're now coming sort of irregularly irregular. I mean, right. One month, it's 30 days, then it's 50 days, then it's 40 days, then it's 72 days, and then it's you know three months. And so those women. So those women, most likely it's something that's off in their hormonal pathway. Right. Okay. And so we can try to figure out what that is and we can do some blood work and we make sure that everything still is right. So their pituitary can be off and they could have a high prolactin. Their thyroid could be off. And then of course, we're talking about even higher up in the hormonal pathway, their hypothalamus could not be secreting the GnRH right. appropriately. And so there are many different ways to, and many different treatment options. So if someone's GnRH or their hypothalamus isn't working properly, that can be because of stress. It could be because of anorexia, because even if they're not anorexic and really trying to lose weight, they're very thin and they just can't gain the weight. And that right. could cause them to have described, you know, irregular periods. Right. This is uh, traditionally like the, you know, the gymnast's Right. Or the, you know, the track runners right. or people maybe are exercising a they ton. They are eating and they're doing all the things they're supposed to. They're just exercising too much for them. I could exercise a little more. <laughs> <laughs> and it's not necessarily unhealthy to right. exercise no. to the point, but for some women, their their body is just more sensitive to Correct. it. Correct. So in that scenario, you either, if they have an eating disorder or if they don't, they, you know, maybe working with a nutritionist or exercising a little bit less or, you know, or working with a specialist in terms of eating disorders, if that's right. what's going on. So there are ways to fix that. And then you know, do they have a prolactinoma and they, do we need to do an imaging of their brain and see if they have this benign mass that's there that could be caused and then we can treat them to decrease their prolactin. The other thing is, are their ovaries not producing the estrogen or progesterone that it needs to? Right. Or are they producing too much testosterone? I mean, those are the things that you we all kind of look at. And then in terms of treating, if it's something that we can fix hormonally or even if they're we have to figure out also what the goal is. Is it to give the patient regular periods or is it to try to help them conceive? And those are two different pathways. Right. The fact that women get, or most women get regular cycles is a complex process that involves a lot of hormones and feedback loops and regulation in the body. And it, you know, it involves, it involves various parts of the brain and the ovaries. And there's all this that gets, you know, included. And if there's, anything that goes off, it can affect your cycles. And it's like you said, all right, it sort of depends like what is going off and what might fix it. And, you know, for some women, they're going to have irregular periods and low estrogen. Other women will have irregular periods and high estrogen. It could sort of be all of the above. And so it, there is an evaluation you do either by history, by hormone levels, you know, and then the treatment. Okay. But again, there's, there really is, we have to ask her, what are we trying to do here? Because if someone is perfectly healthy and everything is fine and she just has irregular periods and it doesn't bother her and we think she's ovulating, 
then fine. Okay. Fine. Like, it's, you know, unless she, yeah, unless she wants regular periods, but if she's trying to get pregnant, it might be difficult. And I think that that's one of the, the main sort of break points, right? Because if she's not trying to get pregnant and she wants regular periods, very easy. Right? Very there, easy. There's certain hormonal treatments or just put her on a birth control pill and she'll get regular periods. And there is, there is some advantage to getting regular periods aside from the sort of you know, regularity and the convenience of it, that if women are are not getting their period regularly for a specific reason where they're not ovulating, there actually is some risk some associated risk with that. And it also can, at some point when they do end up having a period, we tend to see it go into a lot longer or a lot heavier period to back to that menorrhage that we were talking right. about. Right. And that's, uh, that's interesting because when women have, you know, quote unquote, their period, what that means to them is they're having bleeding, right? But there's actually different reasons the uterus is going to bleed. One of which, like in a typical cycle, so to speak, you know, which happens with the correct hormones doing the right things at the right time, sort of the lining builds up with estrogen, then progesterone comes, then it all goes away, and then all that comes off. And that's why it's sort of predictable. But if the they're not ovulating, they just have estrogen, 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 estrogen without progesterone. And then when they bleed, it's not because the whole lining comes off. It's usually because various parts of it start to bleed, and that's why it's so irregular. But that is, those are the women who sometimes come to the emergency room, like with crazy heavy bleeding, Correct. where it's actually dangerous. And on top of that, some of those women are at increased of developing sort of a pre-cancer of the uterus because the the it's always building up and never breaking off. So that's like what we're thinking, like right, in our end, right. you know, we're not thinking. Again, oh, we yeah. want to always make sure that we <laughs> yeah. rule out the most dangerous things. Right. And even though they're very uncommon, we like to just right. take care of that. Right. So for us, we're like, all right, I got to make sure that that's not going on. And if it is, How it's still very right. easy. To, it's, it's easy, easy to, treat. to treat. Um, But that's sort of like one way. And if it's not going on, then, okay, let's just, you know, does this bother you? Does it not bother you? We'll go there. And that's, Again, for someone who's not trying to get pregnant, for someone who is trying to get pregnant, it's a little bit different. And how how is that? You cannot control them with hormones that right. will inhibit them from ovulating. You want to make them ovulate and you want to make them ovulate on a regular cycle so that they can conceive. You still may need to use hormones to induce ovulation, but we'll need to do a full workup as to what is causing their irregular bleeding. It's really interesting because the easiest treatment for all this is a birth control pill, right? right? Because that'll basically, almost whatever the issue is, that's going to quote unquote fix it because her cycle will become regular. If she doesn't have enough estrogen, it'll give her estrogen. If she has too much estrogen, it'll actually ironically make it better, right? So it really works, you know, wonderfully. But the one thing you can't do is you can't get pregnant. Correct. And so if someone does want to get pregnant, that's when it gets, you know, not tricky because there's things we can do, but there are medications you can use to induce ovulation, which will make her ovulate. And there's different kinds and there's different, you know, pluses and minuses to them and not so much risks, but sort of consequences, you know, the risk of twins or triplets right. if she does ovulate. But that's an important thing when, when you're coming to the doctor with irregular periods, you should sort of think in advance, well, what am I trying to do here? Right. Do I want to get pregnant? Do I not want to get pregnant? Because that'll greatly change the direction this might go. And also, maybe, you know, if you want to get pregnant, sometimes it even involves going like to a specific endocrinologist or reproductive endocrinologist to start doing these things in a way that's safe and that you don't end up with triplets or something like that. In terms of women who are not ovulating, right? And then they go on birth control pills. And so now their periods are regular. How do you prepare them for when they're going to come off the pill? Like, let's say, okay, now I want to start getting pregnant. Do you just 
stop it and see what happens? Or are there things you do beforehand? How do you figure that out? Well, I think you need to know where your patient is coming from, right? If they're 20 years old mm-hmm. and you put them on a birth control pill because their periods were irregular and they didn't want to get pregnant, then I think it's reasonable. And now they want to conceive. You take them off and you see what happens. Sometimes just with age and maturation, their bodies will reset and start regulate and start menstruating regularly. Um, I think if you are 35 or whatever works for that patient, I mean, you have to know about the patient, but I think if they're older and they're anxious to conceive immediately, then, and they've had a long history where they've never ovulated regularly, then they may want to just jump right in and go see a specialist to help them ovulate and conceive. What about one unique population is teens? You know, you're seeing someone, she's 13, 15, 18, whatever it is, and she's having irregular periods. Do you even treat that? Or do you wait? Or how do you make that decision? Because you said it's pretty common. So I, I think the first thing, especially with teens, is just explaining to them what's normal and what's not. Right. And that their normal can be different than their friend's normal. Right. And then I think we need to have the conversation of what if they really want to have some structure. Because teens, even though we like to think they're not structured and they want to be all over the place, I think that having an understanding of their body is really helpful to them. And so if you have a teen who needs to know when her period's going to come and feels more comfortable and relaxed with that, then you can offer them a birth control pill. I always, even though they came in for specifically for regular periods, when you're handing someone a birth control pill, and that's what it's called, I always go back and explain to them that it is used for cycle control as well. And that if they are trying, if they're thinking about having it, sex, then they need to remember to use condoms for their, to prevent sexually transmitted infections. So, and then I get into these parents look at me with, (gasps) but it is really important. And also just to make everything normal and healthy is really important. And so then we talk about what, what they want and what they want to get out of their cycles. And then when they decide to stop or they want to conceive later on, or they've just been on it, throughout college and then they're going and then they finally come to a doctor again to actually have a full checkup and a real kind of regular routine GYN exam, not because they had irregular periods. We can talk about, do they still need to be on it and what value that has? And I wouldn't say that they need to then go see a fertility specialist to see what they're, you know, to help them conceive. I would say, just go off of it. Let's see what's happened. Has your body matured enough that you're going to have regular cycles now. Yeah, these these endocrine loops develop and change over time. And it happens in both directions. I'll see people who say, oh, my periods were so regular. And then I went on the pill and it totally messed up my periods when I came off. And I'll be like, well, how long were you on the pill? They're like 15 years. I'm like, well, uh, you know, it could You've just be 15 years. Bit, yeah, right. like, It could just be 15 years to change it. You know, it's probably not the pill. And, and on the flip side, some people say, oh, I had such irregular periods. Then I went on the pill and now they're regular again. I'm like, well, you're on the pill. Like, no, no, I went off. I was like, well, how long were you on it? 10 years. Like, well, yeah, maybe they just got regular. It's, and that's the, the idea that the birth control pill does not sort of solve the underlying Correct. You know, issue. It just solves like the manifestations. And so it's not going to actually like change, you know, how your body would do things when you stop the pill. And it's just sort of, you know, time. And it just gets you from point A to point B without having to deal with the irregularity of it. And that's why it's good. But yes, we have to remind everyone, it only protects against pregnancy, not against infections. Excellent. 
And finally, when we were, you were mentioning before about the hysteroscopy, which is a procedure you can do to look at the lining, is that something that would need to be done for someone with irregular periods like we've been describing where they just get, you know, longer and, you know, not as frequent to sort of more irregular? Is that only in the situations where you suspect something is structurally there? So for sure, when we suspect something structurally, but also I think when we are concerned, when we want to rule out as we had discussed before, these precancerous lesions, mm-hmm. we can do it in that scenario where we take a look, we want to see what the lining looks like, and we can do a biopsy at the same time. Right. And again, that's very straightforward. That's not... We can we yeah. do them in the office. Right. Exactly. You do the hysteroscopy in the office, you do the biopsy in the office, and people can go back to work right after. I mean, there's because there's no anesthesia. The issue with the hysteroscopy is not the procedure. It's if you need anesthesia for Correct. it. That's really the thing that would keep you out of work. It's not the actual procedure. Excellent. Well, Aaron, this was great. What a good review of irregular bleeding. Thank you for coming on. And now that you've done this, we're going to rope you in many more times. Happy to. (laughs) Excellent. All right. Have a good day. You too. Thank you for listening to the Healthful Woman Podcast. To learn more about our podcast, please visit our website at www.healthfulwoman.com. That's H-E-A-L-T-H-F-U-L-W-O-M-A-N.com. If you have any questions about this podcast or any other topic you would like us to address, please feel free to email us at hw at healthfulwoman.com. Have a great day. The information discussed in Healthful Woman is intended for educational uses only. It does not replace medical care from your physician. Healthful Woman is meant to expand your knowledge of women's health and does not replace ongoing care from your regular physician or gynecologist. We encourage you to speak with your doctor about specific diagnoses and treatment options for an effective treatment plan.